Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How many of you, like me, have struggled at one point in your life with gut inflammation or any autoimmune disease, thyroid issues, you name it? Well, my guest today is a very good friend of mine. His name is Dr. Will Cole. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's a leading functional medical expert. He consults people around the world via webcam and locally in Pittsburgh. He is so down to earth, very humble. He lives an ordinary human life, despite the fact that he has helped radically transform the lives of millions of people around the world. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation, and he's a health expert and course instructor for the world's largest wellness brand, such as Mind Body Green and Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop, believe it or not. He's got a number of best-selling books. The first one, Kidotarian, uh, The Inflammation Spectrum, and his latest book, Intuitive Fasting. So we this we dive into uh, diets in this one, how inflammation really starts, the kinds of inflammations that happen and start to spring up, uh, digestive disorders that happen, how uh, diet impacts the brain, how fasting impact impacts the brain too. This is a very uh, widespread conversation that is going to provide so many of you with a ton of value. So if you do get something from it and you do love Dr. Cole's story and his message, please Go and share this one around to all your friends and family. I have no doubt that you guys are going to love Dr. Cole. He is just a, a really down-to-earth human being. He's a good friend of mine. We converse literally almost daily um, through social media, which is just awesome. Uh, he's, a, he's just a good friend. All righty, my friends, that's enough from me, but it is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen, learn, grow, Uh, and hear from the incredible story of none other than my good friend, Dr. Will Cole. 
It's official. It's official, man. I'm, I'm so excited this is happening. Thanks for having me on. We made it happen. Finally. We've been talking about this for how long, man? A couple of months? <laughs> couple of months. Yeah. I'm glad it's going down now. Same here, man. Like I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. I appreciate you actually reaching out to me in the first place. Yeah. I believe it was you watched my Instagram live with Serena Poon and I was, I got this amazing direct message and I'm like, this guy's awesome. (laughs) So definitely um, glad that we connected. You know, man, I, I normally start off all my conversations with one particular question that I think you might like, which is, what does success look like for you? Well, I think there's success in the world's eyes, right? And that's maybe uh, high profile money, material things. And, you know, those are like 1% things, you know, having, having success in the 1%, it's helpful, right? To have a roof over your head, not have to stress about money. Like those type of things are good. Be honest with you, I'm a pretty simple guy when it comes to that sort of success. You know, I I live a very basic life. I go from consulting patients 11 hours a day to my home, to my wife and kids and my two golden doodles. And I basically, people will tell you, I have a Toyota RAV4 and I could care less about material things. I had, I don't think I've bought, bought, this is like H&M. I haven't bought clothes in a, in a long time. I get sent some things. That's cool. And I wear like my friends brands and things, but that's basically it. So I get that, you know, that that's success on one level. I'm not that interested in it. I just want to uh, be able to, to provide for my family. That's success for me. Mm. Um, True success is being able to, and by I mean by true, I mean like the 99% of the stuff, the stuff that will last, the stuff that will live on even when I'm not here on this earth, that's success to me truly like, and you can feel the difference. The other stuff is so fleeting. It's vapor. It's, it's so just temporal. And I, the older that I get, I really see that to be true, that the lasting stuff, the eternal things are truly what's successful. And even me and with my job, I get to be a part of somebody's health journey. That's a sacred responsibility and a success. Seeing somebody that's struggling with health issues that have gone from doctor to doctor that are spinning their wheels to be able to see the fruition of their health over time, that's success for me. So we, I mean, so I don't know if that makes sense. It's helping people that need to be helped. That's success for me. I love that, man. One of the things that I appreciate and love about you is the fact that you are approachable. I mean, we can have conversations about literally anything and you're just open about it. And there are many people that I know of, sadly, that are like that. They have that humble approach, especially with the kind of high profile that you do have. I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands of people that are following you. You know high profile people yourself. So you're very well connected. And yet here you are talking to an Australian that doesn't have the same audience you do. And yet you're so genuine with your time and you're so giving of it. And I mean, I've, I've uh, spoken to you about some of my health issues and you've given me some advice regarding that, which has been helpful, even though you might not have known it. I mean, we've been asking those kinds of questions to the doctors here in Australia. So that for me, I, so appreciate it, man. So I just want to say thank you for that. And I can see it yeah. with, with your 
your uh, every all the work that you do and in, in helping thousands of people around the world. So congratulations, man. <laughs> and Thanks, thank you. It's it's been it's been great. Hey, that my, that's why you know we all have our own path. And for me, it's like I'm so comfortable in my lane and I'm happy to help people in that way. It's a joy. It's, it's truly a passion of mine. So it's not any effort in that, in a arduous sort of way. Mm. Where did this mindset come from? Has it always been the case for you? Yeah, I think so. I just think it's getting stronger and more fine tuned and more like, uh, I don't know. Like I I just, I want to be a vessel for this work and, vessel for God's light in, in my life. Uh, and so I, to me, it's just singularly focused in that way. And I don't mean that in a myopic sort of way. I just mean like staying in my lane is, can be used such in a negative way. But for me, it's like, okay, how can I show up and be the best I can be at what I do Mm. and not comparing myself to other people. And I purposefully will shut off that noise where I can't go down that road, that, that sort of paralysis of analysis and this constant like FOMO inducing content that's out there. I could just, I'm the same as anybody else. If I really spent my energy towards that and looking at everybody else's highlight reel and saying, well, I'm not as, we're not doing as much as them, or I'm not reaching the same levels of people as they, well, that's not my path. Mm. I need to just show up in my path and show up at the people at, at, in the present moment of what the people that I'm interacting with at that time. So I found that to be, I mean, you can call it successful for me. It's just peaceful. That's another way that I, I kind of define success. It's peace, like true, authentic inner peace. And if my life is really filled with unbounding, relentless peace, that's success for me, especially for somebody that, that tends to lean towards anxiety of like, I have to do more and more and more. It's just resting in that piece and like, okay, this is enough. This is good enough. And being content with that and what comes to you. Mm. So you mentioned how important your act, your family is to you. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what has been the biggest risk that you've taken with your family? Mm. You know, I was, a few, a few different things, but one of it was early in my career, uh, I was living in Los Angeles, my doctorate's from Southern California University of Health Sciences. And I, my wife's from Los Angeles. So I thought, okay, we're going to be in LA. And my wife born and raised Los Angelina was like, no, I want to get out of here. I want to go to like the country. Mm. And she uh, was a missionary actually in the jungles of Uganda and she would go there in a second, but we settled in between Los Angeles and, and Kampala. It was uh, Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I let, we let, I'm from here. So we came here about a decade or so ago and mm-hmm. it was a, a great decision. We just have, live a simple life in the country and can raise our kids. So I would say a kind of risky decision was to go in and start the career in that way. And then me leaving the or clinic early on that I was working for and going out on my own was another thing too. When you're, when you're two little kids at home and what, what are we going to do? And you don't, anybody that's working for themselves in that way, 
there's a little bit of a leap of faith on that level too, of what's, what's going to look like. And we started a telehealth clinic and telehealth wasn't even a thing. We called it a virtual functional medicine clinic. And it was like, no, I was talking about this on social media and YouTube and different. I wrote articles a lot about this field of healthcare called functional medicine, which no one really even knew about. So we started consulting online and it was just, it was born out of necessity of this brand new business that I had started out just helping people via webcam, shipping labs to them and providing them a functional medicine perspective on their case. And we called it the virtual functional medicine clinic because I was where they weren't. So it was just, we needed to to talk via webcam because that was how we provided them that perspective and that guidance and uh, the clinical advice. So um, looking back, we started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world. And it's just weird to think, all right, I guess we did that. I didn't even know it was a thing, but now I really took the pandemic for me to look back and say, whoa, all other doctors really had to learn about this overnight because they were forced to. I've been doing that my entire career is talking to people via webcam for 11 hours a day. So it's cool to see that leap of faith that seemed crazy. And my, I'll tell you, my wife thought early on, like, why are you writing all these articles? Like, why are you doing the, these things? It seems like not a good use of your time. Mm. She said that. And I, I bring it up to her lovingly from time to time. Remember <laughs> you said that? Like, you have to trust me more. Uh, <laughs> I tease her. But uh, like, that was probably the biggest early on leap of faith of doing something that didn't make sense fully, but I just really felt a calling to go this path. So speaking about that calling and learning how to trust in God, more specifically that this is the right course of action for you, how have you learned to trust God more in not just the little things, but even the big things? Hmm. Well, I'm a work in progress in that way. Because mm-hmm. again, my I'm telling you, my it's always of resting in that peace, and being and that being my success and then my inclination is to worry about things about the future and i have a team that's growing and i i'm responsible for them and their families and all that stuff and so many different aspects of all my patients lives like that's i can get caught up in being my own like thinking I'm the captain of the ship and ha- and I'm responsible and it's on my shoulders, but what I have to constantly check myself. And I really do this I, I'm on my drive to the clinic in the morning, just like checking myself. And then we do as a team, we do a prayer meditation before case reviews. We, we, we go over case reviews for the day, but we start our day with prayer for our patients for the day and meditation for the, us as a team to really be centered and focused. So that these sort of practices that are not big things, they're just like making your life a meditation and checking yourself and putting things in perspective for me grows that mindfulness muscle, that trust muscle, that sort of letting things go muscle. So it, it's a constant reframing because it's not my inclination. My inclination is try to control everything. Um, but so I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at letting go as I get older. We're all working progresses, man. Like I myself am a huge control freak and perfectionist. So I've mm-hmm. had to learn how to take a step back and just allow, I've got like a friend of mine actually sent me this band the other day. It's called, it, it has on there trust in the Lord. And it came at a point in my life where I was like, I was just going just absolutely crazy. And then this arrived in the mail 
And I, I was like a massive rebuke, a massive slap in the face from God almost, like just rest and trust in his, his work, not my work, but his work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helped me just to calm down <laughs> and refocus on, I guess, the, the things that are important the most, my health, my relationships with people, not necessarily the business, although that is important, but mm-hmm. just who God made me to be. And I think yeah. that's, that's an important lesson for, for people to take away from. Yeah, definitely. It's when you can be who you were created to be, um, and, and really realize that to full fruition. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Mm. So I want to get into the kind of nitty gritty of, of running a tele telecast or tele webcam sort of business mm-hmm. with health, because normally you do face-to-face consults with people like that would be the norm, so to speak. What is, yeah. what have you found to be just starting out the, the challenging factors involved with that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider, but we've worked it out when you're immersed in this relentlessly for 11, 12 years at this point, you work out so many kinks over that time. And like I said, that's what we're immersing ourselves in. So when you have singular focus, pretty much, that's what my main focus is. 90 professionally, 95% of my focus is that, um, it is, um, very, it's really cool. Like to, 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 when you immerse yourself, you don't notice it until you look back, right? You just, you're just in the grind of it so much. It's like, okay, 7am to 7pm, 7am to 7pm like that. That's like your focus. And then you look back over months and then years and then a decade and you're like, wow, man, like you, we really figured this stuff out and optimize it. And I just want to provide excellent excellence. Mm. I want to provide like the best personal user experience for patients and put myself in their shoes. Like, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be talked to? How would I want to be given the best experience of someone that's going through some heavy stuff? And that's why we start off our day with, with prayer and meditation as a team, because we're realizing we're going, we're going to be talking to people 11 hours a day that are going through really heavy stuff with autoimmunity, chronic fatigue syndrome, mycotoxin, like mold toxins, Lyme disease, like talking about serious stuff that can impact so many different systems of your body. So to, I guess to answer your question, it's just like always putting myself in their shoes Mm -hmm. and saying like, what, how are they seeing the world and being teachable, being teachable, being malleable, being a word that I use for the team is um, athletic is what I'm always telling the team. You have to be athletic. And what I mean by athletic is like, be responsive, show up, like do, treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And that's not delayed and clunky and disorganized. <laughs> it's showing up. So you make your day, your, you make your day more peaceful because you're just streamlined and you're efficient and thoughtful, but you're making it better for them too. The person that's going through the heavy stuff. So it's a lot of little things, but, but with that energy towards it. Have you been through some health issues in the past for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I have autoimmune conditions on both sides of my family and I've written about it. I talk about it in Keto Terry in my first book that I had digestive issues, that different inflammatory problems. I have a double MTHFR gene variant, which is a gene that makes an enzyme that means my body's not methylating in some ways, not very well, which we need for proper detox pathways, hormone health, immune health. And, um, you know, so I have to be intentional with supporting my 
physiology in, in ways. So yeah, it was that. Um, but it's more for me, it was seeing that and not wanting to trend in the direction that I saw some family members go into. And it was really being fascinated about epigenetics and genetics when it comes to this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. So it's interesting that that's the people that I don't even really seek out at, at all. I don't, I, I talk about it and I guess that's what, what they're hearing. They, they see themselves in the things that I'm writing about and talking about, but it's just, they are my people. And it is certainly um, an awesome responsibility to be a part of their health journey. So I get to see it on not just a clinical level, but it's a personal passion of mine as well. And same with my team. And it's, it's interesting that that double, that simple, yet can be profoundly influential gene, gene variant of MTHFR, the C677T gene variant. I didn't know this, and it wasn't a requirement for being employed from my, at my functional medicine telehealth center, but I we looked back and all the patient people on my patient team, all the same gene variant of the C677T. And it's like, okay, this is pretty crazy. But it's a it's a, a testament to the fact that we have this personal passion for people because this is like stuff that we deal with in our own lives too to optimize. Which is one of the reasons why I'm passionate about this, especially health, because I've been through a crazy health journey and I'm still going through a crazy health journey and I'm still really young. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm learning so much by speaking to doctors, uh, physicians, psychologists, you name it, whoever it is about managing different health conditions, especially now I'm fascinated with autoimmune. So you mentioned gene uh, variants in, in a human being. I mean, is that necessarily where autoimmune starts? Is the person has a gene to autoimmune diseases or can it be brought about through poor diet, through stress, through trauma, that sort of thing? Well, it's a bit of both. I think it's a it's a collision or a confluence of both genetics and epigenetics. So generally speaking, researchers estimate that a third, one third of this autoimmune inflammation spectrum puzzle is genetic. So most people have some sort of family history of autoimmunity. It typically is X chromosome linked. More women than men tend to have autoimmunity, but there are some exceptions, you know, there's some autoimmune, many men have autoimmune conditions as well. Um, and, but things like MTHFR, different endocannabinoid gene variants, different uh, detoxification gene variants. It's this combination of different gene variants that are associated in the scientific literature with different autoimmune problems. It's highly correlated. But two thirds, the majority of it is epigenetics. It's the environmental stuff that can trigger that genetic predisposition. So the things you mentioned, you know, food reactions, toxicity, uh, chronic infections, viral infections, other pathogens, mycotoxins, bacterial infections like Lyme disease, trauma from our past, or a combination typically of those things really can create that perfect storm of variables that can awaken that genetic predisposition. Because researchers estimate that the majority of our genetics, almost all of them, haven't changed in 10,000 years. Mm. Yet, like, okay, so if our genes haven't changed in 10,000 years, why are more and more people being triggering, being triggered with these autoimmune issues like never before in human history. Better diagnostics is part of the explanation of why we see more numbers, but no one in this space is gonna tell you that better diagnostics really explains all the phenomenon that we're seeing here in this larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum. So it really is this, what researchers refer to this genetic epigenetic 
mismatch. It's this evolutionary mismatch that our genes are living in this brave new world. Genetic, genetic predispositions have lived there forever, mm. but they're being awoken like never before in human history because of the onslaught of epigenetic triggers. And we're stressing our genes out and awakening these genetic predispositions. So that's really that interplay between genetics and epigenetics is something that I explore with my patients. And I'm really looking at the labs, both genetics and epigenetics to, to show people this path of which they, they need to, to be on to, to heal. Are all autoimmune diseases, whether or not it's from epigenetics or that, that sort of thing, are all of them curable or, or manageable? Well, there's exceptions to that. I, what I would say is it depends on where we're at. It depends on where we're at on the spectrum. I mean, there, there's there's this larger continuum. On one end, it's silent autoimmunity or silent inflammation, meaning if you ran labs, you'd see markers that were off. You'd see high immune markers. You'd see high um, antibody production, but the person feels fine. And then autoimmune reactivity is the second phase where they are symptomatic. They don't feel well. Labs are going to show up abnormal, but they are not bad enough to be full-blown autoimmune disease. So to be diagnosed with most autoimmune disease, you have to have significant destruction of certain parts of your body before it's diagnosable. So you have to have 90% destruction of the adrenal glands to be diagnosed with Addison's disease or autoimmune adrenal disease. You have to have 70 to 90% destruction of things like the myelin sheath for MS and the villi for celiac disease. So researchers estimate that it's about four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis when things were brewing on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum, meaning the immune system's attacking certain parts of the body because of so what's called molecular mimicry, where it's the, the case of mistaken identity. And that's what the progression of this autoimmune disease is. So are all of them curable? are reversible? No, there aren't. There are some cases that are so destroyed where we need to make the best we can of that situation and reclaim as much function as their body is capable of. Mm. But I would say this, the vast majority of people on this larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum wields a lot of influence over their biochemistry. And I see people thousands of cases over the years that were counted to just, this is your lot in life. You can't do anything about this. And you, your best option is just this, this, and this. And it's typically pharmaceuticals like biologics, steroids, or immunosuppressants, something like that, mm -hmm. that, that they reclaim their health. So whether that's reduction of medications or eliminate of the medications, or just decreasing the severity and the frequency of their flares, it never... I'm never, uh, I never want to limit what the body's capable of doing, but to say that everybody is curable is definitely not the case because if the, the immune system's destroyed a massive amount of different tissues of the body, the idea that it's going to regenerate all back, that's not the clinical objective. The clinical objective is to stop the flare-ups and to preserve what is left. Mm -hmm. So the soonest we, the sooner we get deal with this and get a handle on this, the better. Mm, definitely. Like, and I'm, I'm always curious, like if someone was to get labs done and they have all these symptoms, right. That uh, are present in their life every single day, they get labs done and it doesn't really show up that they have any autoimmune diseases present. How would you go about still treating that person for those symptoms? Well, 
and that I think that's a clarity of words and terms here for for me that I'm always trying to use my words carefully because you can have inflammation but not it but it not be autoimmune, mm-hmm. but all autoimmunity almost all of it is inflammatory in nature. So I see, and that this happens sometimes where people you know that looks autoimmune, but just because it looks like something doesn't mean that it is or doesn't mean that you're going to catch it on labs. Yeah. So. I would say the broader term for it is inflammation, chronic inflammation. And you can almost always quantify that on labs. If the person's having symptoms and you're looking in the right place, you're going to find things on labs that need to be optimized. So that's for a good health history, which is so not sexy, but it's like, it's important because you can, when you ask enough questions and you hold space for that person and you're really inquisitive and dig deep, that health history, when you're talking to someone for an hour plus, you're going to know what labs you need to run you're going to know where you need to look to get that person the data. And you're going to have some good guesses of, as a clinician. I think this is going to be up and this is it up, but you're not going to know it fully, but you're going to know the area to look. So uh, the, the answer is you, you run the best labs. You see what the data is. You get multiple labs perspective. You're thorough with your testing. And then even with the best labs out there, there are no perfect labs. So at a certain point, you have to use your clinical experience. And that's the the duality of functional medicine. There's the science and then the art. And sometimes the science, you don't get the data because those labs are snapshots in time. So when you got the lab at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, where's your physiology the other 23 hours and 59 minutes when you weren't measuring this on the data point? So you have to get multiple snapshots. And sometimes you you don't get the data. And a lot of what we deal with is um, they, they're, they're referred to largely as great mimickers or great imitators or mysteri- like mysterious illnesses or uh, things that are, are hard to understand. Rarely, like I'm always finding something because we're looking in the right places, but we don't always see everything. And that's where multiple snapshots and clinical experience comes in. And we can really uh, address things where it's okay. It, it looks like this is going on. We have most of the puzzle. And when we retest, we can get more stuff over time. Mm. I think if you were to look at my medical history, just for example, I don't present with any of the regular symptoms, signs, you name it. Like I'm not textbook. And I, I think like I was, we joke about this as a family that you could literally take all my, all my illnesses and put them in a medical textbook for people to study, for doctors to study, right? Because there's that there's that many that have baffled doctors for years of what's going on. And this is one of my like fascinating areas that I always go go into is is diet. Uh, and there's so much information out there around the different diets and which diet you should choose, and you name it. There's, there's, stacks of them. So I want to know for you, uh, Will, why did you decide to go keto in the first place? And why is keto a better option as opposed to paleo, as opposed to vegan, as opposed to just a regular, normal three meals? You know, you got your greens, you got your meat, you got your all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I I could put my functional medicine practitioner hat on or I can put my will hat on. My functional medicine practitioner hat is I have patients in all different types of protocols. I have patients that are doing 
cyclical ketogenic. I have patients that are doing moderate carb, higher carb. I have patients doing carnivore, more plant-based because it's the science and the art of it all. It's looking at the labs and even healthy things. What works for one person may not be right for the next person. And what serves you today won't therapeutically be necessarily what you have to do forever and ever. And that's the science and the art of it, of looking at labs and then using real life as a lab. Mm. And, 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 and the person has to enjoy what they're doing too, right? Because stressing about a protocol when it comes to food and they are pouring what they're doing, that stress and anxiety around the foods will create a completely different result, even if it's therapeutically relevant, even if it's clin clinically relevant, if they hate what they're doing and it's an arduous, punitive task, it's going to sabotage our goals. So we have to be pragmatic sometimes, and that's the art of it as well. So that's my thoughts on that. I have patients doing all types of things. And that's the thing I have to get out of my own way because what works for me and what works for maybe people on my team or what's worked for a patient that has a similar case as them. I, I cannot compare people and stick people in a box. We need to bust the box up. We need to break the box up and realize just that person not going to always fit in a box. And, and you have to be intellectually flexible or athletic again with the, the things that play here. Because if I'm like, no, like keto is the way for everybody to go. I'll tell you one thing. We were interviewing a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner to be on the team. And she was vegan, right? She was, that was her thing. Cause she did her quote unquote research and, and she, that's how she ate. And she said, I don't know if I could work for you guys because you put people on you have people eat meat or things that weren't vegan. And I said, you know what? You're going to have a tough time. You can't be, a, you can't be in functional medicine. No. You should be a vegan health coach because mm -hmm. you have to get out of your own way, get your ego out of the way, get your box out of the way. Cause you're not going to serve people with autoimmunity with that box. Mm -hmm. You're just not, you're going to serve some people, but not everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's my thoughts on that. Personally, ketogenic diet for me has worked really well. And it's a tool that's also worked well for my patients. So I do it myself, a cyclical sort of way. So there's a grace, there's a flexibility, there's a lightness to it where I just intuitively know like most of the, the week I'm deeper in fasting modes, higher fat, lower carb, but I can moderate my carbs when I want to to maintain metabolic flexibility, to keep inflammation levels lower, to support brain function and energy production, support my gut health. So these are tools that I do. And that's why I write about them too. It's my own personal experience, but it's also the stuff that I see clinically too. And these are tools within the functional medicine toolbox. They're not, they're not the only tools. So that's, that's my thoughts on that. So how does being in a ketogenic diet, then the kinds of foods that are uh, resemble being keto. So high fats, uh, high protein, that sort of thing. How does that help support proper brain function? And how does also fasting as well? How does that impede on the way you, your energy levels, the brain function, even inflammation and, and getting that down? So how does that all tie into this one specific diet for you? So for me, intermittent fasting and a subset of intermittent fasting called, called time compressed feeding or time restricted feeding, which is what most people are looking at when they're hearing about the buzz around uh, and the zeitgeist around intermittent fasting. It's just eating in specific windows. It's not caloric restriction. It's not multiple day fasts. 
there's a place for multiple day fast is really not a place for chronic caloric restriction. It's not healthy for most people to do. So they want to be eating ample foods. This is food like just nourishing your body with nutrient dense foods and you should not be chronically hypocaloric, but you giving your body a break to be in fasting mode, but eat your nutrient dense food in specific windows can be a great tool with a lot of exciting emerging science that I talk about in intuitive fasting to, um, to really allow the body time to repair and heal. But look, it's two sides of the same coin, the ketogenic diet, the way that I advocate it, which is a clean nutrient dense whole food based cyclical, not always in ketogenic diet or what I call ketotarian, which is basically a Mediterranean ketogenic diet that's that's cyclical. That could increases ketosis, beta hydroxybutyrate, and so does fasting. So the ketogenic diet in this way is more fasting mimicking. It's mimicking the benefits of fasting without actually fasting. And fasting is actually fasting. So you're both you're supporting beta hydroxybutyrate, which is this signaling molecule. It's an epigenetic modulator which means it does really cool things for our health. One of them is it passes the signaling molecule that your body produces, your liver produces, it's passing through the blood brain barrier. It's providing your brain clean fuel. It's lowering neuroinflammation. And a lot of times people struggling with brain fog and anxiety, depression, fatigue, have a lot of neuroinflammation, different neurological autoimmune issues have high neuroinflammation too. So it's a great and way to support the brain. It improves BDNF, a brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's actually supporting neurogenesis and neuroplasticity are actually making new neurons and more resilient brain and brain repair. It supports autophagy pathways, which is needed for cellular recycling, cellular renewal, sort of our body's cleaning system, our body's own natural anti-accelerated aging system, so that's what it's doing. And it's lowering systemic inflammation too. Most of my patients, like I mentioned earlier, have higher inflammation levels. Inflammation is this commonality between not just autoimmune issues, but largely most chronic health problems like metabolic issues and brain health issues. There's tons of research looking at chronic inflammation's implication to the pathogenesis or the, the, the dysfunction of different, most chronic health problems. So beta hydroxybutyrate is a natural anti-inflammatory that your body naturally produces. And it lowers things like NF-kappa B and the NLRP3 inflammasome and all these things that you see high in most people, it lowers it completely naturally. Mm -hmm. So a clean ketogenic diet, at least cyclically and intermittent fasting are two, two of many tools within the toolbox to modulate the immune system, modulate the gut as well, which is where 75 to 80% of the immune system resides, which is tons of connection there with chronic inflammation and autoimmunity with people that have dysbiosis and inflammation in the gut and intestinal permeability issues. So it's just, there's a whole cascade of effects. I think it's summarized well with Paracelsus. He's one of the fathers of modern medicine. I talk about him in intuitive fasting because he was known as the Martin Luther of medicine, you know, he was like reformer of the church, but uh, he's known as the father of toxicology as well. And he called fasting the physician within, which I think is a really eloquent way to put it. He didn't have the double blind placebo controlled trials in the 1400s, 1500s. He just saw anecdotally people got better in this state. Well, it's now science is substantiating it. Science is substantiating good old Paracelsus that we know, well, this is healing molecule can really help to repair and calm down and modulate things in a positive way. 
Mm. Has there been anything that you've uh, found out recently within the fasting and diet uh, spheres that has sort of surprised you at all? Uh, the, the, look, I would say, yeah, it, uh, the last 10 years or so, uh, it's really, you see an explosion of research around this space of ketosis and what it does to the human health. Cause if you look at the mid part to the latter part of the 20th century, ketogenic diet fasting largely was done for, uh, seizure disorders mm. and, um, epilepsy and some cancer research too. But now over the past 10, 15 years, it's really been amazing to see the clinical application of other brain health issues, of autoimmunity, of other inflammatory problems, metabolic issues like type 2 diabetes. It's so exciting. So for me, it when you look back again, in retrospect, it makes sense. The mechanisms are there. But to see the trials come out and see better and larger studies come out is really promising. Mm. Again, do I need to see all the studies? Do I need to see all the studies to know it works in people's lives? No, because when you're talking to people 11 hours a day, some things you just see anecdotally and you see labs improve. And I'm not a researcher, I'm a clinician. So I'm seeing labs improve in their lives. And that person is their own N of one experiment. They don't need the RCTs either. They're just seeing their lives improve. So the science and the data is cool. To catch up with us in the clinical world is cool. To catch up with antiquity, that's cool. Um, I don't need it, but it's cool to look at. This may be a stupid question because of all the people that you actually see on on any given day, um, but has it been a, or what would you say has been the worst possible case that you've treated? Hmm. I see some bad, I see some serious cases and I see that I use the word bad, but I mean, bad is severe. I see yeah. some really significantly heavy stuff. Like it's not the faint of heart. Cause look, I'm not anyone's first like rodeo when it comes to like health and wellness. I'm, they've exhausted conventional medicine almost always. They've, they are compliant people meaning they're doing all the things their doctor's telling them to do. I'm not, I'm not talking about fringe people. I'm talking about people that, are compliant, type A, show up, do what they're supposed to do, and they're still spinning their wheels and not getting anywhere. Um, and then they're, okay, I, they've been forced to immerse themselves in Dr. Google to try to get answers, and they've improved their health on their own in some ways, in many ways. Like, they're better off than they would be if they weren't doing all these good things that they're doing, which is kind of hard to say sometimes. You're like, dang, you're still in a bad place. Mm. But you know, they know in their life, well, yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better off than I would be. And it, you take people that are largely in that category, that's beyond the basics. It's like, they know not to eat junk food. <laughs> they know not to eat sugar and things like that. And some of them may keep it peripherally, but for the most part, they eat way better than the average person, but they're still struggling. They're taking better things in their life in the wellness and health world and even conventional medical world, but they're still struggling. And so I see it all day long. I, I Something that comes to mind is, a, I tell you what, I see things like this all the time, but I this person comes to mind when someone asks me this question like that, because it was earlier on in my career. So it's like when that, those are such formative times in like as a clinician. So you think of that person. And so she was in her eighties or nineties. Uh, her name was Blanche and she uh, was struggling with autoimmune issues. And um, 
she was her husband wheeled her in with the wheelchair and she could barely talk. There was such significant brain fog. She was falling asleep. And again, I, I can think of hundreds of other cases like that, but this was one of my first cases like this. And um, she, he said, I don't want the love of my life. We've been together for decades and decades and decades to go. Like we need to help her. And there's something not right here. I know my wife and we ran labs and we saw a wealth of things going on in her physiology. And she was taking all the medications she was supposed to be taking. She was doing all the things she was supposed to be doing. And she still was like severe brain fog in a wheelchair, yeah. chronic inflammation, autoimmunity. And one of the things that was going on was one of many things is that they had her cholesterol was so low and she was of a certain generation where if you were with a white coat, you just took that pill. You didn't ask questions. You just did what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't going on Dr. Google and looking at things up. She was like just a compliant patient. And she, her, your brain needs cholesterol. I mean, 25% of all your body's cholesterol is in your brain. I mean, it, she was starving her brain amongst many other things. I'm not just saying it was just that, but it was, she was starving her brain of the nutrient it was largely made of and many other things going on here. We rehabbed her through the aspect, through different functional medicine protocols, changing the foods that she ate, integrated natural medicines, integrated other protocols in her life. And she was walking around with a cane, completely different person, sharp thinking. I, it looked like the light bulb just came into her brain. I didn't know her beforehand. So it was a completely different person to see this like life and this zest come to, to, to fruition. And it was something that she said that that why I remember her so well. She said, we were planning my funeral when I met you. And now I'm planning vacations with my grandchildren. And for me, like that's what at stake here. Like how many people that we know in our life that just living right now that think that's their lot in life and they're just doing what they're supposed to do. And that's the only option. And these I don't know what even, I don't even know how you found us. It was like 12 years ago. He wheeled her in. And it's just like, I just think, I don't even know where she's at today. Who knows? But like to see that woman who I spent a year, year and a half working on these things, this wasn't a quick fix. This wasn't like a magic cure. This was just a lot of showing up for this person and giving her the attention that she needs. But over a year and a half, two years, she turned into a completely healthy human being. Mm. So that's one story, but I'm, I'm blessed to have many. I can imagine you got many like that. <laughs> I mean, 12, 12 years or something like that uh, in, in this kind of space, I can only imagine half the stories that you would come across on, on any given day, man. I mean, this, but, is, um, this is a story box. So I love, love stories. Um, is there one that sort of like it's baffled you? Like when you, when you got the case, you, you've done the labs, you've, you've done, you've pretty much exhausted every single area you could possibly exhaust and you, you don't know where to go from, from there. <laughs> Has it been a story like that for you? Yeah. 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 So I, I think there's, there's many examples of people where you get the best data you can. And like I said, these things are called great imitators or great mimickers where they are moving in the right direction they're better off than they were and you've improved their health and you've given them the tools to do that, but they get stuck at these really stubborn plateaus. And like I said to my earlier statement, 
I'm a freaking perfectionist and I am impatient sometimes. I'm thinking they need to be here and they're not here. And they're impatient too, because they're the ones struggling. So I'm like right there with them. I'm like, I want this to be gone from your life as much as it can be just as much as you do, or hope just as uh, around that same area, because I really want them to be the best they can be. Um, and I know what's possible with cases that are similar to them, but you going back to that comparison, you can't stick that person in a box on their speed of recovery. Uh, sometimes their journey struggle uh, slower. And I'm always balancing this paradigm, this, du this uh, duplicitous thing, this of knowing it takes time to heal, but are we doing enough to make this the shortest span it can be and avoid plateaus wherever possible. And that's always a battle act with us as a team. And we have case reviews, deep dives, like every day where we're saying, is she, is he, are they getting everything that they need to progress and vetting the labs and vetting the protocols. So it's constantly dynamically. And that's the science and the art duality that I mentioned, like it's okay using their real life as a lab and saying, well, if they're stuck in a plateau, is it increased the doses of this? Is it retesting this? Is it getting a separate snapshot of this? And that's why we have to really preserve our bandwidth intellectually to really give it the attention that it needs and immerse ourselves in that appropriately. So we space out my new patient consults for that reason, because I can't, if I, I could get more people in a 10, 11 hour day that are new, but I wouldn't be of good service to the people that are already in care. So we've scaled appropriately to give other people options. Like we have an amazing team of functional diagnostic nutrition practitioners and I'm overseeing all the cases, but I, we still have to, pace ourselves to make sure we're giving enough attention. So there's tons of examples of that. It, a lot of them fall under the, the realm of poly reactivity, meaning that there will oftentimes run pathogen tests and you'll see different bacterial infections and viral infections and other the parasitic protozoan issues where the immune system's reacting to it, where it, these, these pathogens our, our microbes are not living in harmony with that person's immune system. The immune system's really pissed off and you're measuring immune markers and it's flared up. C4A is flared up. C3A flare, is flared up. TGF beta one are flared up. All the conventional other, uh, these are all conventional labs, like C-reactive proteins flared up. All the stuff's off. And then we see the pathogen that's contributing or causing that flare up. Now, the, the, the pivot of avoiding plateaus is to find, well, what's the primary infection? So looking at things like mold and Lyme co-infections that are very hard to catch sometimes, not so much mold, but Lyme disease can be very hard to catch. Mold is a little bit easier to catch, but even then these people aren't detoxing very well. They're not methylating very well. So you can, if you're measuring like, for example, mold toxins in urine and that person's not clearing it out, it's not gonna always show up in their urine. So you have to, we can say, oh, they don't have mycotoxins. But then you think, eh, you know what? I think there's, so we have to retest. We have to bring biofilm disruptors and things to clear it out. So there's constantly re us thinking about what's missed because we realize no lab is perfect. Mm. All right, a couple more questions for you, man, if you don't mind. This, is, yeah. this has been great. Um, I want to ask you some sort of funner 
Fun is not a word. More fun questions. That's fun <laughs> that works for me. There's the brain fog right there, man. It, <laughs> it's hit me right now. But um, this, is a, this is a question I ask everyone sort of towards the end. Well, I've actually only asked it to a few other people. But what do you love the most about your story and yourself? Hmm. I would say to be able that a small town guy from Western Pennsylvania that God could use me in ways that would impact people's lives around the world. And it's really interesting how many times I hear from people, you're in Pennsylvania, like you're in Pittsburgh. What? I thought you were in LA. I thought you were in New York. I like, what are you doing? Like, mm. yeah, I am here. And there's a cow field out my window and I'm here, <laughs> but you know, God can use you wherever you're at. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to be where everybody else is to be used in exponentially powerful ways. Do you find it challenging sometimes to be in the kind of field that you are, even as a Christian? Mm. No, no, it's not. Mm. It's not at all. No, it's, it's, it's uh, not challenging at all. And I've been able to help people in, in powerful ways of all faiths or no faiths at all. Mm. And it's cool. Like no matter where you're at, you, you it to see, even if they don't, even if they're atheists, right. Or of a different spiritual path, it's cool to see the light that I could give them in a way that, that it's in a, it's ineffable as far as like, they don't even get, they don't even see what I see. They don't even, they're not even resonating with what I'm even where I'm coming from. They don't, they don't need to, I don't need to say anything to them on that level. I just need to love them and care for them the way that I want to be cared for. It's cool to see him. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't never has impeded us as a team here either. Do you feel like anything is missing currently in your life? Hmm. Time, time, <laughs> hours in the day. Yes. Yeah, I know. Can you fix yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Mate, yeah, tell me about it. Um, okay, this is, this is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Hmm. I, I would just say that I, I would hope to, and I have work to do in this way, is to that he held space for me and I, it was as if I was the only person in the room that mm. I wasn't, he wasn't distracted. He just loved me in the way that he knew how I needed to be loved. Um, that's what I would hope so. Mm. I have a ways to go, but that's my hope. When in your life, when you least expected God to show up in a big way that he has and has challenged your perspective on who he is? Mm. Good question. You know, it's small way things, you know, synchronicity is like powerfully, um, I'm in awe of that. You know, there's just seeing things line up and seeing things like I, I can't even really articulate it, but it, this patient schedule, even like professionally, like to see the people were only, you know, I've heard it said 
once you just, almost like the seams of the universe, like the seams of time and space, you see like these things that probably mean nothing to anybody else, but you see like the synchronicity and it's like, all right, there's some divine order to hear that I don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think to me, it's like God showing up in like the small ways, like a little wink where it's like, you're part of this bigger plan that I don't understand my part in all of this yet fully. None of us really do. I think on this side of things, but the, um, so those are not big things, but to me, it's just letting go, trusting in the process, like letting, if you're, and this is my earlier statement of, instead of being a control freak and thinking I'm the manager of everything, can I just be a channel? Mm-hmm. Can I just be a conduit? It's a lot more effortless, a lot more unimpeded when you're in that, in that zone. So when I'm at my best, when I'm like at my best piece and just is just channeling what I've been given, it's not even fully mine. It's not mine at all. I'm just literally channeling everything and showing up to be a good steward at at that present moment. So those are a million micro examples of that. Mm. Well, my friend. I really appreciate your time today. We finally made this happen and yeah. I'm so glad that we did. <laughs> Thanks, Mate, man. Part one, where can people find you, connect with you and learn more about you? Everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Amazing. Dr. Will Cole, thank you so much, my friend, for coming Thanks, on the man. Storybox podcast. Anytime. Thank you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.